Well, hello, church family. Welcome to South Bay Community Church. You know, in 2013, someone from our church sent me a video, and I told her that I was going to use it one day in a message. And here we are in 2020, seven years later, and I want to open up by showing you part of that video. I want to show you part of this video because in this video, I'm reminded of godlessness in our generation, godlessness in this world we're living in where many people are making the choice to kick God out of our lives. We're we're kicking God out of our homes, out of our schools, out of our workplaces, and we just want God out of our lives. And as you watch this video and you listen, I'm wondering if maybe at one point you used to think like this, or maybe you know somebody who views God like this. Take a listen and check out this video. I will live my life according to these beliefs. God does not exist. It's just foolish to think that there is an all-knowing God with a cosmic plan. That an all-powerful God brings purpose to the pain and suffering in the world is a comforting thought. However, it is only wishful thinking. People can do as they please without eternal consequences. The idea that I am deserving of hell because of sin is a lie meant to make me a slave to those in power. The more you have, the happier you will be. Our existence has no grand meaning or purpose. In a world with no God, there's freedom to be who I want to be. But with God, life is an endless cycle of guilt and shame. Without God, everything is fine. It is ridiculous to think I am lost and in need of saving. Do you know anybody who views God this way? In 2 Corinthians 4, 4, it says, The God of this age, talking about the devil, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. There's an enemy, a real enemy, who has blinded the the minds and the hearts of unbelievers so that we are kept in darkness And that characterizes what our world looks like today. And godlessness, we know, leads to all sorts of evil, all sorts of hatred and anger and slander and racism and rage, which is what we see in the world that we're living in today. We see these things in times such as these. Sometimes even us Christians can act godless when we let our flesh and our sin prevail. And we as a church, we believe that God wants us to see the light of the gospel in the midst of the darkness. Last week, we kicked off a series. Pastor Gary shared with us this series called The Eye of a Lion. And the reason we call it that is because a lion has been given eyes to see incredibly well in the darkness. Our creator has created their eyes with this special reflective coating in the eye and also this white patch under the socket that helps reflect light into the eyes so that they can see eight times greater than humans in the nighttime. We believe that God wants us, church, to be able to see the light of the gospel in darkness. And I believe we're called to have lens like lions at such a time as this. For such a time as this. 
I, I found myself saying that phrase, it's a popular phrase, but I've been saying that phrase frequently over these past few months. For such a time as this, and I'm usually referring to this unique time that I'm living in, that we're all living in. And I think some of you guys, many of you guys would agree with me, we've never lived through a time like this. Such a time as this where there's coronavirus and quarantine, where there's racism and riots, where there's economic ups and economic downs, where there's uncertainty about the future, and where there's talk of disbanding or defunding the police. We're living in crazy times. Well, that phrase... Such a time as this actually comes from the Bible, the biblical book of Esther. And in Esther chapter 4, this guy named Mordecai uses those words to speak to his cousin, Esther, who has become queen alongside King Xerxes. And this is what he says to her in Esther chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, please open it up. We're going to be in this passage all day. But in verse 13, Mordecai sent this reply to Esther. Don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you will escape when all the other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place, but you and your relatives will die. But who knows if perhaps you were made queen for such a time as this. I want to spend today's time sharing with you three observations from this passage to help you better understand Esther's story. Then I'm going to share with you two reflections to help you better understand your story. Would you pray with me? And let's ask the Lord to open the eyes of our hearts. Would you join me? And so, Father God, Lord, we bow our heads before you right now, and we bow our hearts. And God, we pray that you give us eyes like a lion to help us to see light in the midst of darkness, that you would give us hope in the midst of hopelessness. And Lord, as we look into your word, this passage here in Esther, Lord, that you would help us to see that this isn't just a 2,500-year-old story. This story is a story that you are writing right now in our lives. So, God, help us to see that your word is living and active. And, God, I pray that right now you would free us from all the distractions, wherever we are, whatever's going on around us. Help us to just stay put and stay focused on your word and what you may be saying to us right now. God, open our eyes. Give us spiritual eyes, eyes like a lion. We thank you, God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So here we go. Three observations, then two reflections. Esther chapter 4, verse 13. It says this again. I'm going to read it one more time. Mordecai sent this reply to Esther. Don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you will escape when all the other Jews are killed. Write this down for the first observation. Observation number one. The Jews faced a threat. The Jews faced a threat. Their lives were in danger. So just to give you some background. So Jew, Esther is this Jewish woman, right? She, when she was growing up, her parents died. And so Mordecai, her cousin, 
adopted Esther and took her under his wings. And so here, here is Esther growing up with Mordecai. And at the same time, the king over the entire land, over the kingdom, is this guy named King Xerxes. And King Xerxes, who is in power at this time, banishes his wife, Queen Vashti, out of the kingdom. Why? Because she disobeyed him. And so he kicks Queen Vashti out and he sends out his servants to search the 127 provinces in his kingdom for the next queen in her place. Well, the servants go out and they lay eyes on this beautiful woman, Esther. And her beauty found favor with the servant. So they bring her to the king. The king meets her. He's delighted with her, and he falls in love with Esther. And Esther is made queen over the kingdom alongside King Xerxes. The only thing is, Esther is a Jew, and nobody knows that. And Mordecai, her cousin, tells her to keep it quiet or else she could lose her position. So she keeps it a secret. And so here is where the drama begins. Here's where the drama begins because King Xerxes has a right-hand man. And the second most powerful guy in the kingdom is this guy named Haman. And Haman is a hater. Haman is a hater because Haman is this guy who wants all of the Jews annihilated. He wants everybody who belongs to the race of the Jews to be killed off by definition, he was a racist. Here, here's what Haman says to King Xerxes. Esther chapter 3, verse 8 and 9. He says to the king, King, there is a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different from those of every other people. And they do not keep the king's laws, so that is not to the king's profit to tolerate them. If it please the king, let it be decreed, let it be written to law that they be destroyed, and I will pay 10,000 talents of silver into the hands of those who have charge of the king's business, that they may put into the king's treasuries. And so Haman wants to hang them. He wants to annihilate them and get rid of them. And so for the Jews living in this time, talk about living in crazy times. And just imagine the most powerful person over you, the two most powerful people over you, go so far to write it into the law to have you killed, to have your life taken, wiped off the face of the earth. Talk about racism. Talk about oppression. Talk about intolerance. Talk about dark times. Because these were dark times. So this first observation is very simple. The Jews faced a serious threat. Let me make a second observation. You might want to jot this down somewhere. God has a sovereign plan. God has a sovereign plan. Right, so the Jews' lives are threatened. They're about to get killed. And Esther, the queen, is in this odd position right here. Like she's in this odd position. For one, she knows that she's a Jew, but nobody knows that. And if she goes and advocates for all the Jews, that's going to expose her Jewishness. And that's going to clump her together with all the Jews, and that's going to cost her her life. It's going to get her killed. 
On the other hand, the second challenge is nobody talks to the king. You don't just walk into the king's presence. The king calls you. You don't call the king. The king asks you to speak. You don't speak up on your own. doesn't matter if you're the queen. Here's how Esther describes it to Mordecai. She says to her cousin, Esther chapter 4, verse 11, she says, listen, all the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death, except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live. But as for me, I have not been called to come into the king these 30 days. And so Esther knows that she could get killed. She knows she's got options. She could get herself killed or she could stay very comfortable living in luxury, staying silent in the safety of the royal courts. She's got options. But Mordecai, Mordecai has eyes of a lion. And he sees something that Esther does not yet see during this time. And he says, Esther, look. And in Esther chapter 4, verse 14, he goes on to say, look, if you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place, but you and your relatives will die. What, what does Mordecai see? He sees that God has a sovereign plan, that God is ultimately going to save his people and vindicate his people and rescue our people. In our last series on the Lord's Prayer, we talked about how his is the kingdom, his is the power, and his is the glory, meaning he is the sovereign king on the throne. Remember that that analogy of, of God's sovereignty is like a deep ocean current. If an iceberg can tank the Titanic, and yet God's sovereign currents can move an iceberg. That no wind, no gust, or no human hand is going to thwart the sovereignty of God. Nothing can change an ocean's current, and no man can change God's sovereign plans. And so if God promised, like he did in Genesis chapter 12, That his people, the Jews, will have a great name and be a great nation living in a great land. Then nothing is thwarting that plan. King Xerxes might be in power, but his is the kingdom. His is the kingdom. And what Mordecai sees is that nothing is going to change his direction. And so he says to Esther, he reminds her, listen, Esther, with or without your voice, God will uphold his people because God will uphold his promise. He's God. And if you don't raise your voice right now, Esther, and you don't advocate for your people, then God will still save the day through someone, somewhere, because he's sovereign. He's going to save the day through someone, somewhere, because he's sovereign. So listen, Esther. He could use whatever he wants. He could use a donkey. He could use a big fish. He could use a bush. He could use a man with speech problems. He could use whoever he wants. But what if, Esther, what if right here, right now, God wants to use you? 
What, what, if, what if he wants to use you and you are part of his sovereign plan? I mean, think about this, Esther. What if this is no accident? What if this is no accident? What if God purposely blessed you with good looks, purposely made you beautiful so that one day you'd be noticed by the king? What if God purposely blessed you with a position of power, a Jewish woman in a Gentile kingdom as queen? What if God purposely blessed you with a voice to speak for the voiceless? What if God purposely blessed you to be a blessing? Listen, Esther, your advantage is no accident. You've been privileged on purpose. This is no mistake. God, God is doing this, Esther. And so he says to her in verse 14, Esther, who knows if perhaps you were made queen for such a time as this. Would you guys write this down for the third observation? Observation number three, Esther was privileged for a purpose. Esther was privileged for a purpose. See, Mordecai had eyes like a lion. He could see what's going on in this, in this dark time. As darkness came over the Jews, he had perspective. He saw light, and her name was Esther. Esther, you are the light, and you are the hope of the Jewish people. But we still got a problem, right? We still got a problem. If her Jewishness is exposed, she could lose her crown, she could lose her position, and she could lose her life. So it's kind of like, would you rather be the head of the kingdom or have your head chopped off? Which one? Would you like to be fed grapes or would you like to be fed to the vultures? Which one? It's, it's like a no-brainer. For Esther, it's no-brainer. I, I think I'd rather be safe and comfortable living in luxury. But what does Esther do? And this is where Esther becomes my hero because Esther straightens up and she calls for prayer and for fasting on her behalf. Here's what she says in Esther 4 verse 16. She says, go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. And when this is done, I will go to the king even though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. <laughs> right? It's like, I know she's not a dude, but what a beast. Like, what a beast for her king, her God. She's a beauty, but a beast, a spiritual beast, because she lays her life down lays her life aside, and goes in before the king, and she speaks up for the voiceless. And to make a long story short, let me fast forward really quick. If you know a Jewish man or Jewish woman or Jewish child that exists today, it is because of Esther. It is because of this 
woman who used her privilege for a purpose. Today, 2,500 years after that story even happened, the Jews still celebrate annually the festival of Purim. This, this festival where they're commemorating the salvation of the Jews because of this lady named Esther who used her privilege for a purpose at such a time as then. She's hailed as a hero. And so those are three observations about Esther's story. Number one, the Jews faced a threat. Number two, God had a sovereign plan. Number three, Esther was privileged for a purpose. Those are three observations of Esther's story. Now let me help you with two reflections to help you understand yours. Here's reflection number one. And please write this down. But ask yourself, what is my privilege? What is my privilege? And just in the book, just like in the book of Esther, the Jews were living in dark times. We find ourselves living in dark times where evil is all around us. And like I said, I believe God wants to see light in the midst of darkness. He wants, to, he wants us to be able to see certain things. And at least one of the things I know he wants us to see is the privileges that God has given each one of us. That, that, that we have certain advantages and blessings and favor. We have privileges. Now, now by definition, the word privilege means any immunity, a right, or an advantage that you have that somebody may not have. That's a privilege. Biblically speaking, you can understand it as something God has given you, a favor he's given you, blessing he's given you, that somebody may not be enjoying right now. And chances are you probably didn't earn it, and you probably didn't deserve it. The Bible also has a word for that. That's called grace. And so what grace have you been shown? What privileges have you been given? Esther had a privilege. She had a privilege of being queen in the royal court. Who else in the kingdom got to share that with her? No one. And God gave that to her. That was a privilege. You too have privileges. You have things that some other people may not share. So the question is, what privilege do you have? Maybe you have a job, not everyone does. Maybe you have kids, some never will. Maybe you, you can make friends easily. For some, that's an extremely hard challenge. Maybe you have an education, and some with brilliant minds will never have a chance at that. Maybe you have a home big enough for guests. Some have homes barely big enough for their own family. If you're watching right now, you got Wi-Fi. Count that a privilege. God has blessed you, whether you are tall or short, whether you're rich or poor, whether you're fat or skinny, whether you are a Christian or a non-Christian, whether you are Asian or Hispanic or white or black, we all have been blessed in some way. I love that when we had the, the faith and race panel up here and we were talking with black brothers and sisters in our church, Brittany Dean, as a black woman, she said up here, she says, I have privileges that the Lord has given me. 
And I love that this past week I, I saw on her Instagram, and she had no idea what I was preaching on, but she said explicitly, I have the privilege of education, so I'm going to keep on educating myself. I'm going to keep on learning. And all of that was to help bring positive change, to bring light to darkness. I love that. When people, especially Christians, recognize that God has been so good to us. Now, let me take us a little deeper. I want to take us a little deeper in helping some of us recognize what privileges we might be experiencing. So think about this. What are some things that I have that I don't ever think about? Let me rephrase that a little bit. What are some things that I never have to think about? Because the chances are some of those things that you never have to think about are privileges. Let me give you an example. A few years ago, I never had to think about hearing. Never thought about it. I just did it. You spoke to me. I heard you. I responded. We had a conversation. I now realize that that was a privilege. Because after I got into that surfing accident and my eardrum was blown out and it's, the hearings never come back, I now have to think about it. On a regular basis, I now have to think how I position myself in a conversation. I now have to think about what seat I take at a dinner table. I now have to think about what, what is my kid saying. I have to think harder about these things. And I'm constantly aware of the fact that I can't hear like I used to. And what I used to have was a privilege. So what do you have that you never have to think about? As a pastor, I don't ever have to think about the fact that when I walk out of this building when we're done, I don't have to think about people throwing bricks at my car because of what I'm wearing. I don't have to worry about people flipping me off when I'm at a restaurant trying to get food. I realize that's a privilege because as we heard this past week from our good friend and brother, Officer Chun, that's something he does have to think about. That's something he does have to worry about and be anxious about. And if you haven't seen his interview, please, after the service is done, go watch the interview with Officer Chun and his wife, Lisa, and listen to their experience and their stories. But I realize I have privileges that Officer Chun doesn't have. And our privilege is often found in the things we never have to think about, stress about, or worry about. We have an advantage I remember uh, we were in Taiwan, my wife and I, we were uh, visiting a friend that we met on a mission trip. Her name was Charlene, and we were outside on the streets of Taiwan, we were outside drinking some tea, and a police came by, and the, the lights were flashing. And it startled me, because they came right up to us, and I, I didn't know what was going on, and if they were looking for us, and then I, I found out later on that uh, in Taiwan, police always have the lights on. That just means they're on duty. It's only when the sirens start going off that something's happening. But, but I didn't know that at the time. I remember asking Charlene. I said, hey, here in Taiwan, do you get scared? Like when police approach you with lights come on, you don't get scared? And she said this to me, and I thought it was so profound. She said, no. She said, why should I get scared? I'm not doing anything wrong. So why should I be scared of the police? I'm not doing anything wrong. And, and to me, back then, it was profound. And today, it's even more profound. 
And some of you guys are thinking, well, that makes sense. If you're not doing anything wrong, why should you be scared? That's not unique to Taiwan. That's how it is here in the U.S. And if that's how you think, then that's a privilege. If that's how you think, then that's a privilege. Because you have an advantage for whatever reason. You don't ever feel threatened or have to think about your own safety as long as you know you're not doing anything wrong. But I've learned, sitting with some black brothers and sisters from our church, that that's not a privilege that they all share. Like right here on our panel on, on faith and race, we heard from, from our own brothers, two of them on the stage, who, who talked about incidences where they weren't doing anything wrong, and they were arrested or handcuffed or questioned and even have scars to show. One brother was saying how he didn't have one single friend he can think of, male or female, not one friend who was, wasn't unjustifiably ever pulled over, questioned, interrogated, or even harassed. And they weren't even doing anything wrong. And so if that makes no sense to you, and that has never been your experience, count that a privilege. Count that as a privilege. Because not everybody has that same advantage. So I ask again, what privilege do you have? What do you never have to worry about or think about? And all of us should spend this time Counting our blessings, counting the favor that God has shown us, counting the grace that he shows us on a regular basis. And part of having eyes like lions is always being able to see light in the midst of darkness, able to see God's blessings and favor and grace upon us instead of being depressed and demoralized by the darkness. So what privilege do you have? And if you've experienced God's grace... And give him glory. But simply counting our blessings, that's not enough. That's incomplete for the person who is serious about following Christ. It's not enough. So here's a second reflection I want you to, to write down. Write this question down. What is the purpose of my privilege? First of all, think about what is my privilege, and then think about what is the purpose of my privilege. See, at the, at the very least, we should be thankful. Yes, be thankful continually. Give thanks always. But if we are truly thankful for our privileges, if we are really thankful, then our privilege will be purposeful. It will then be purposeful. Our blessing will become a blessing. Now understand when I say the word privilege, automatically it evokes some kind of emotions in many of you. It's not usually a, a good word that people want to be described by or it's not a word people want attached to their identity. But listen closely, church. Listen. Privilege is not a bad thing. It's not. It's what you do with it that can make it very bad or very good. Or it's what you don't do with it that can be very bad or very good. So the question is, what do you do with your privilege? Do you use it for self-advancement, for personal empowerment, for selfish gain, for self-centered agendas? Or do you use it to bless people? 
to point people to Jesus. It wasn't wrong for Esther to be queen. What a privilege. But God gave her that. God put her there. And Mordecai, who had eyes like a lion, he could see through the darkness, and he challenged Esther, look, you're queen. That's not a bad thing, but don't live in your luxury. Don't sit there silent and being safe in the comfort of your royal palace. But Esther, what if? Who knows if you've been made queen for such a time as this? Esther, see, listen, this is a time of darkness, and you've been privileged for a purpose, to speak for the speechless, to bring hope to the helpless. You've been blessed, Esther, to be a blessing. Don't waste your blessing. Don't squander your advantage. She's been privileged for a purpose. Speaking of Esther, speaking of Esther using her privilege for such a time as this, Esther Rowe is in my life group, and I saw her, and I watched her use her privilege for a purpose. This last week was her birthday, something she got to celebrate, and that's a privilege, because not everybody this past year got to celebrate another birthday. But not just that, she has the privilege of having a whole network of friends. What a privilege. But not just that, she has the platform of social media that she can use as her voice. What a privilege. And in a day when social media can be so toxic and filled with such filthy garbage, I saw her leverage her privilege for a purpose. And so she wrote to all her friends in her network on social media. She says, instead of giving me birthday wishes and birthday gifts or any kind of money or flowers, I would like to ask you to consider giving for my birthday to an organization I found called EJI. EJI, the Equal Justice Initiative. And she researched this organization and found that it is something that she can line up with in terms of values and she can get behind and support in order to raise awareness of the injustice that takes place in our nation today. And her goal was if we could raise $800, we can help further the cause and bring light to darkness. They were able to raise over $1,000 and many of you in our church family helped contribute to that cause. (laughs) Esther, she's privileged. But she used it for a purpose. And here's what Pastor Tony Evans says. He says this. He says, it is God who has given you your job, position, resources, education, and more. It is God who has opened the opportunities for you to optimize for your kingdom. No, 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 no. No, no. God gave you opportunities for you to optimize for his kingdom purposes. He didn't place you where you are so you could post pictures of yourself on social media. He placed you where you are because you are in the midst of a battle, a war. You are in the midst of a seismic conflict involving good versus evil. There is an epic battle of light versus darkness, of hope versus hopelessness. At such a time as this church, 
You have blessings. Blessings that God has poured upon you. But realize these blessings poured out on top of you isn't meant to stop at you. But you are just a conduit for God's blessings to flow so that your blessing would be a blessing. So do you see? Can you see that your position or your paycheck or your personality or your power wasn't given to you for you to build your kingdom. But this privilege was given to you to advance his. God has given you, church, a kingdom assignment. And any advantage given to you is no accident, but for the assignment of advancing his kingdom. And so, church, what is your privilege? And don't stop there, but ask, what is the purpose of my privilege? And I could hear some of you right now, Greg, you don't know my story. You don't know my story. I've been through the valley. I've been dragged through the mud. I've been backstabbed by friends. I've been divorced by my spouse. I've been abandoned by my parents. You have no idea what I've gone through. I've had to endure cancer. I had to fight through sickness. Tell me, when you look at my cruddy life, What privilege do I have? What privilege do I have? And I want to say to you, brother, I want to say to you, sister, I'll tell you what privilege you have. You have a story that I don't have. You have a ministry that's probably more powerful than mine. And that test Is God giving you the privilege of having a testimony? That mess is God giving you the privilege of having a message. Don't waste it. Don't squander it. That's a privilege. That's favor. That's advantage that you have that I or anybody else in this church may not have. Don't waste your privilege. Use it for a purpose. Now listen, as I close, I want to say this to us. To you who are listening, here is the greatest privilege, the greatest privilege that many of us listening right now share, and this is for the ultimate purpose. If you have received the gospel and your eyes have been opened to the light of Jesus Christ, realize you have been privileged more than literally billions of people in this world. You have something that billions of people still do not have. There are nations who have never heard the name of Jesus. There are neighbors who have not seen the hope in this darkness. There might be a nanny out there who is depressed, needing hope in her season of hopelessness. If you have had the privilege of having your eyes opened to see Jesus, then that privilege has a purpose. I want to, I want to go back to that video that I opened with, and and I want to show you that our purpose now is to reflect the light of the gospel in the light of, in a world of darkness. And I opened up the message with this video to show you what godlessness sounds like. I want you to watch it again and listen very closely because I want to show you how God can open eyes And he could give light in the midst of darkness 
and he could change perspective. Take a look and listen to this video again. I will live my life according to these beliefs. God does not exist. It's just foolish to think that there is an all-knowing God with a cosmic plan. That an all-powerful God brings purpose to the pain and suffering in the world is a comforting thought. However, it is only wishful thinking. People can do as they please without eternal consequences. The idea that I am deserving of hell because of sin is a lie meant to make me a slave to those in power. The more you have, the happier you will be. Our existence has no grand meaning or purpose. In a world with no God, there's freedom to be who I want to be. But with God, life is an endless cycle of guilt and shame. Without God, everything is fine. It is ridiculous to think I am lost and in need of saving. And that's how I felt before Christ opened my eyes, changed my heart, and reversed my thinking. I am lost and in need of saving. It is ridiculous to think everything is fine without God. Life is an endless cycle of guilt and shame. But with God, there is freedom to be who I want to be. In a world with no God, our existence has no grand meaning or purpose. The more you have, the happier you will be, is a lie meant to make me a slave to those in power. Because of sin, I am deserving of hell. The idea that people can do as they please without eternal consequences is only wishful thinking. It is a comforting thought, however, that an all-powerful God brings purpose to the pain and suffering in the world, that there is an all-knowing God with a cosmic plan. It's foolish to think God does not exist. I will live my life according to these beliefs. Only God can open a person's eyes. Only God can reverse our thinking and give a person spiritual perspective. But church, we can be that reflective piece, like in the eye of a lion, to help reflect the light so that eyes can see Jesus. And so friends, if you have experienced and enjoyed his grace, extend his glory. If you have been blessed, then go be a blessing. If you had the privilege of knowing Jesus, then you have a purpose in making Jesus known. And this is the ultimate purpose of our privilege. So don't squander your privilege. Don't waste your blessing. But use your privilege for a purpose. Would you guys bow and join me in prayer? And Lord, it is with open hands that we are so thankful that we have this privilege of receiving from you all that you pour upon us from heaven. And Lord, these are things we did not ask for, we did not deserve, and we don't earn, but it is your grace. Help us not to be spiritual hoarders, Help us not to be spiritually obese, but help us to, to work it out and, and to spread it and to share it. Help us to be conduits of your favor and your blessing and your gospel so that people would see Jesus. I want to take a moment right now as you have your heads bowed and your eyes closed. If you... If you've never 
giving your life to Christ. Maybe through this message right now, God is opening your eyes to see that he has a sovereign plan, that he has purpose for your life, that you weren't created by accident. I want you right now to consider giving your life to him. The Bible says that he gave you Christ Jesus to die on the cross so that your sins would be forgiven. And the Bible says all we have to do, we don't have to do anything but to believe that Christ did that for you. And if you would embrace that with your heart and say, I, I, I believe that, then the Bible says you will be saved. For you are saved by faith. You're saved by your faith, by believing. And I know there's a lot more that you have to learn and to understand about what it means to have a relationship with God, but it starts with a commitment to surrender your life to Him and to follow Him. And we have the assurance that we will have the light of Christ, hope for eternity. I want to pray with you right now. So I'm going to pray a prayer. And I want you to join me as we pray this and pray it with your own heart as speaking to God yourself. But pray something like this. Father God, thank you that I'm alive at such a time as this. And though it's hard and challenging, I thank you that there is hope. I thank you that you're helping me see that Jesus is the light. He is the way and he is the hope. So I give my life to you. I believe that you came to have a relationship with me, that Christ died for my sins and rose from the grave to make this possible. So I believe it. And help me now to surrender my life to you. Help me to follow you and to continue learning more about who you are and your love for me. This day, I make a commitment to you and I do it in faith. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.